Well, today on the calendar ends the eight-day celebration in the biblical calendar of the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, these three fall feasts, all shadows fulfilled fully in Christ. A few weeks ago, the Feast of Trumpets, that was the day that Christ was born. Trumpet announced a new king, followed a short time later, ten days later by the Day of Atonement, when a sin offering was made once for all, fulfilled at the baptism of Christ, and then he was led into the wilderness and defeated Satan. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, the promise that Christ now dwells with us, within us. When John says in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, what he says is the Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. All the feasts are pointing here to tabernacles, the promise now that Christ dwells with us. Now cleansed of sin, his holy presence in us, and we're going to see a few other things very important that happened on the Feast of Tabernacles. One-third of the Gospels take place on the Feast of Tabernacles. One-third of the things Jesus does and says recorded in Matthew and Luke and Mark and John, they are recorded on the Feast of Tabernacles. Here's an example of one of those things that happened, Luke chapter 9, 29. As Jesus was praying, his appearance and his face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. The transfiguration took place. This was during the Feast of Tabernacles. The original part of Tabernacles goes back to Moses. When they left Egypt, lived in the wilderness, they dwelled in tents. So today and down through history, people often spend some nights in a tent. It's a celebration. It's a joyous thing remembering the deliverance out of Egypt, and most of all, the presence of God that was represented there, the pillar of fire and the cloud in the desert with Moses and the children of Israel. They were all surrounded in their tents, their shelters. So it's always been a joyous celebration. You'll see much of that here this morning. So again, often people dwell in a tent. It's a reminder again of God's presence. It's also a reminder that things in this world are temporary. But the things of Christ are eternal. Beautiful picture here painted, though. Christ transfiguring before the apostles to show he is, again, the fulfillment of all the promises, the desired of all nations who was to come. Notice what Peter says. Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three tents or shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Remember at the Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear, and now Peter says, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Can we not stay on this mountain? Let's build tents here and stay. Jesus would tell him, though, that was not the intent. They had much work to do. Isaiah 12, 3 captures the picture being painted in tabernacles of how much joy it entails. Isaiah 12, 3, with joy, draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, draw water from the wells of salvation. There are two central parts in the celebration of tabernacles. One of those parts is water, because you can imagine how water, life-giving, no matter where you are, but especially in the desert. You read the story of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're in the desert many years, and water miraculously poured from a rock. So water became a part of the celebration of tabernacles. It plays a central role. We'll see that in a moment. Second part is light. Light that represents, again, the fire cloud that was the presence of God there seen as they left Egypt. Light and water 
and joy are all central to this picture. Warren Wiersbe states it like this, nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. We need to remind ourselves God can change things. Outlook determines outcome. If we see only the problems, we'll be defeated. See the possibilities in the problems, we have victory. You remember when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the statement is he should be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Everything about tabernacles pointing to that promise, the dwelling of God amongst men. Never alone, Christ never leave us, never forsake us. Tabernacles always was pointing as a shadow to that very truth. Now here's a fascinating part of history. Christ came to dwell, to tabernacle amongst us, crucified, died, rose again. The apostles were told in the book of Acts, turn the world upside down. A lot of spiritual battles taking place around that first century. Still going on today, but very intense in that time period. Julius Caesar died in 29 BC. When he died in 29 BC, a temple was built in his honor at Ephesus proclaimed him to be God. People began to make sacrifices and worship at this temple. The Caesars that followed him, well, they didn't want to wait till they died to be, be proclaimed God. The first one who claimed divinity while he was alive is this man here, Octavian Caesar. Born in 63 BC, he died in 14 AD. Very important part of the Gospels, he changed his name to Augustus. Demanded people call him the son of God. Augustus is the one who came up with a census that would draw a young couple, Mary and Joseph, to Bethlehem. He was proclaiming himself to be divine. And as the apostles would go out and preach, these Caesars would say, and Pontius Pilate did as well, are you telling me there is another king? Oh, absolutely. That's the whole promise that another king has arrived. These Caesars began to oppose that church. The apostles suffered greatly. But what did Jesus say? My church, not a building, not a denomination, not a religion, but church means called out ones. He said the gates of hell shall not stop what he has started. David Chilton summarizes. Of the 30 emperors who persecuted the followers of Jesus, one went insane, one was killed by a son, one was strangled, one died in prison, three committed suicide, five were assassinated by their staff, eight were killed in battle, several had untold complications or diseases. Of the 30, Julian was fatally wounded in battle at the height of his prosperity, he raised his sword to heaven as he lay dying and proclaimed, Thou hast conquered, O thou Galilean. And Jesus came to dwell in our midst. He announced the arrival of the kingdom of God. And the spiritual battles that came from Satan, he said there's nothing going to stop what he has started the gates of hell shall not oppose the beginning and the growth of his church. 
as Paul Silway says, God's faithfulness is the one constant in the equation. He is the rock on which we stand. So when we come to these feasts in the Bible, again, they're not something that we celebrate in the manner of Scripture. They are just pointing and painting a clearer picture that they are shadows fulfilled in Christ. So with that understanding, let's take a look for a moment here. Feast of Tabernacles, the promise, word became flesh and he dwelt and dwells in our midst. 1859, John Lightfoot said this, talking about the water used in the celebration for tabernacles. Upon all these offerings was a pouring out of water mixed with wine upon the altar. This was done at no other time. For the sake of that, there was great joy singing and dancing, such as not seen at any other time but this. It was said, who can his smile refrain? Deepest craving, deepest longing of the human heart is to know we are not truly alone. Tabernacles is the fulfillment that the promise is we are never alone, that God exists, he notices our life, he's offered this redemption plan in Christ that we might be reconciled unto him. Sin, we bear it no more. Deepest cry of every human heart. When people recognize that and celebrate tabernacles, who can a smile refrain? There was joy, there was dancing, there was celebration. And it was during this feast that they would take water and they would carry jugs around Jerusalem. They'd pour it out in different places, again, showing that God provides. Living in the desert at the time of Moses, if they ran out of water, just as today if we ran out of water, they would not survive. But water poured miraculously from streams and rocks, God providing. So they poured out water during this Feast of Tabernacles to celebrate that God provides. And while they're pouring out this water, John 7 tells us this. On the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood in a loud voice and said, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. As they pour water all around Jerusalem to celebrate God's provision, Jesus stands and says, I am the living water. And if you believe in me, that living water, love and peace and grace is going to flow through you. That's the promise of his presence. But let's contrast that for a moment with what happened in the book of Jonah. You remember that at the beginning of the Day of Atonement, 10 days before Tabernacles, it was common, is common, to read the book of Jonah. The reason, again, is because Jonah is a story about second chances, third chances, fourth chances. It's a story of ultimate redemption, reaching the unredeemable. Jonah got many chances, but Nineveh, his sworn enemy, seemed to be, in his mind, beyond redemption. And yet the town... The entire city was saved when they heard the gospel. Well, let's focus on Jonah chapter 1 for a moment. Contrast this when Jesus said, If I am with you, within you, you'll know a joy unspeakable. And look what happens to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. 
We know that Jonah called to go to Nineveh at this point in the story. He says, I'm not going. Gets on a boat. Goes in the opposite direction. Here's what we read. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship was about to be broken up. The mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God. And here's the key. But Jonah went down to the lower part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. Jonah had a calling from God, a greater purpose. His response was, no thank you, I'd rather sleep. Now the idea here is not about sleep, it's about spiritual sleep. But it's also the challenge not just for Jonah, but for our lives today. See a husband and wife struggling in marriage? Do they seek counseling? Do they seek answers? Do they go to somebody to get wisdom how to turn things around? So often they just go to sleep. Perhaps going to sleep in their jobs or focusing only on the children. Somebody struggling financially. Are there answers to turn that around? Absolutely, but it may take more work than they're ready to give. So what happens? Rather than put in the effort, they just... Go to sleep, caught up in television entertainment. Somebody is facing emotional challenges. Are there answers for that? 100%. Does it take effort? Certainly. Does it take searching to find some answers? Sometimes. And often people see the work necessary to make change and they just, I'd rather just go to sleep. Ultimately, we look at the world around us and we see so much opposed to the kingdom of God. And many say, the task is too big. I'll just distract myself and go to sleep. That was Jonah's solution. And what do you read when we get to the scriptures? Paul says, awake from your slumber, O sleeper, and rise. Let his light dawn in your heart. Here's an example of somebody who found themselves asleep. This gentleman here, Jeff Arch, was an English teacher in high school. He said he liked his job, nice family, nice life. He said the job, though, was not his dream. His dream was to write. But any, any attempt he had at writing, he didn't find success. Plenty of critics along the way. For 10 years, he kept that dream kind of pushed down and went to sleep in his job. One day, though, he couldn't sleep. It was 4 a.m. A commercial came on, Tony Robbins. It was a seminar about goal setting. He said, come out to the seminar. If you have a goal, you have a dream, you put on the shelf, we'll help you get back into action to make that happen. Jeff Hart said, what can I lose? Signed up for the seminar, learned some new strategies to, to make his goals a reality, went home from that seminar, his life was about to change. He said, here was the key point where he changed. Here's what Jeff Art shares. Asking yourself the right questions is most important. My focus changed 180 degrees. I realized just trying to fulfill my own needs wasn't going to cut it. He needed a new question. When he came up with a better question that was not simply about himself, but was about others, everything opened up in his mind, his heart, 
He realized what was next. He went home and wrote a screenplay. That screenplay he named because of that night in which he could not sleep. What question did he ask himself? A question changing from how do I make things better for me? His new question, he said, I changed my focus to how do I make people in Finland walk out of a movie theater holding hands? How do I make people in Finland walk out of a movie theater holding hands? When he started to ask that question, he got a better answer. He came up with a better story. He wrote that story, sold that screenplay within a month, made a quarter million dollars, and now is a writer full-time. The name of that movie, Sleepless in Seattle. One of the most popular romantic comedies in recent time. What happens, he went from self-focused to other people-focused, as Jesus calls us to do. The Word became flesh, tabernacled amongst us. Isaiah 40 also something that was shared during the Feast of Tabernacles. Notice these words, Isaiah 40, 27. How can you say the Lord does not see your trouble? Have you never heard? Have you not understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. The second part of the Feast of Tabernacles was light. Again, a celebration that the, the pillar, the cloud, and the fire present in the desert. So what they would do is they'd light up Jerusalem. There were candles 75 feet tall. They would take light from those candles and, and take lamps all throughout the city of Jerusalem. The idea was the entire city would light up like daytime. In fact, it was said you could see the light of Jerusalem 40 miles away. And while they are lighting up the city with these candles, Jesus says a second thing. John 8, Jesus spoke again and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When they poured out water, he said, I am the living water. When they lit the candles, I am the light of the world. All these feasts, shadows pointing to the reality of Christ. But ultimately, as we close here, what did he say? Matthew 5, now you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others. You see, the promise is there are many out there struggling Asleep like Jonah, drowning themselves in distractions because life intimidates in so many ways. Or they seem to struggle to find the answer. And Jesus said, no, the answer is him. And as his ambassador, take his light, go out into the darkness and show the path to the truth and to life and forgiveness and to the promise, the mystery now, Christ in you, the hope of glory. All of that is the promise of the joyfulness of tabernacles. You come to the end of Jonah. Nineveh repents. Jonah's angry about that. They were his sworn enemy. He wanted God to rather judge them. He goes and sits on a hill. There's a small shaded plant. And the plant dies. And Jonah gets angry. 
And here's Jonah chapter 4. The Lord said to Jonah, you had pity on that plant that you did not labor for, you did not grow. It came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh? And as Larry Crabb says, the Hebrew word for pity literally means to have a tear in one's eye. The Lord says to Jonah, you've got a tear in your eye because you lost your shadow and your shade. I've got a tear in my eye for lost people drowning in sin on a pathway to destruction. I've got a tear in my eye for husbands and wives who don't understand I can heal their relationship if they but turn to me. I've got a tear in my eye for broken mothers who fear for their prodigal son and don't understand my heart aches for them as well. I've got a tear in my eye for the addict who I can heal if they but trust. Do we have a tear in our eye for the things that God weeps over? This gentleman's name is Nasser. He was a gentleman who studied Islam and became a, a Muslim apologist, which means that he would go out and have debates, especially with Christian theologians. He studied hard, became, he said, an expert in religion. He said he enjoyed people Having questions about religion, they'd come and ask him. Mostly, he said he wanted people to embrace the Muslim faith. One day, he said he was reading some articles by a lady named Daisy, read some more, really connected with her writing. They started to share emails. Then they made phone calls. They met in person. He said he fell for her. She fell for him. He said she was a Christian. He kept his beliefs private. They very quickly got married, and he said once they were married, he told her he had been very dishonest. He said, I am a, a Muslim. I intend to continue my faith, and I want to debate Christians who believe like you, show them they're wrong. Now, she could have left him in that moment. She chose instead to pray. And she said before long, a thousand people prayed for him. And she said, one day finally Nasser agreed to go to church. And he said, I went to church with her and I listened to this pastor talk about this man, Jesus, who was crucified, died and rose again. And he said, I was sitting in that church and I said, God, if this is the truth, then you have got to show me a sign. And as Nasser would testify a few months ago, he said suddenly in his mind's eye, he saw very clearly a hill and a man being crucified there. And he said, that man's eyes met mine, and I realized I had been completely wrong. And he said, I very clearly in my heart heard this. Nasser said, Jesus said to me, that was why I did that. Because that was the only way for you and I to have a relationship. And it was worth it to me to pay that price. At that moment, Nasser fell on his knees, embraced Christ. Now he goes out to share the gospel, especially with other Muslims. 
That's the heart cry of Christ. When he went to the cross, he looks at you and me and he says, it was worth it to me to pay that price. The word became flesh and he dwells among us. That's why they're singing. That's why there's dancing. That's why there's joy unspeakable and full of glory.